two jokes. A bear was ordering at a restaurant and said to the waiter that, he said, I'd like to order a grilled cheese sandwich. And the, uh, the server said, what's with the, what's with the big paws? And he's like, I'm a bear. So that's that joke. You're supposed to restrain your laughter till I'm done, Eric. Well, I, it, I like this one better. So how do they feel? The shoe sales clerk asked. Uh, they're a little tight, said the man. Try pulling the tongue out a little bit. How do they feel now? They still feel too tight. <laughs> There you go. That made me happy. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for eternal, unchanging truth in a world full of constant change and uncertainty. You don't change, and your promises don't change, and your word is the same Breathing on us, Holy Spirit, you take this word and, and bring us life. We ask it for Jesus' sake. And God's people said. So we got up to verse 6. So that's where I'm going to read today. Colossians chapter 1. Let me give it a little context. We always pray for you. I'm, going to, I'm just going to give it a little context by starting the paragraph before. We always pray for you and give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the first day you heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. I'm going to read verse 6 again. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives. From the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace, this is the word of the Lord. So Paul is laboring to emphasize to these Colossians that the gospel that came to them is not an inferior message to some sort of superior secondary message that comes later in their life. He's, he's, he's introducing this conversation to say, look guys, the same exact gospel that came to you, it's growing and it's, bare, it's working. It's spreading like wildfire through the whole world. And everywhere that this gospel goes, it is transforming lives in the same way that it changed your life from the day you first heard about it. So you need to know that you're part of a global movement and it's working. You need to start you need to start here in the gospel, but you need to stay here in the gospel. From the first moment that you heard and understood the truth of the gospel of grace, your life changed radically. It changed in a moment, in a crisis moment, your life changed immediately. 
But he doesn't just start, he doesn't just say, hey, your life changed on the day. He says, since the first day the gospel came to you and you understood it, your life's been changing. That as you've, you started with grace, and if you stay in grace, perpetual transformation and fruitfulness will be your life. And it works that way for you, and it works that way everywhere else. I ran some searches to try to figure out the spread of Christianity. And of course, in the time of Paul, the known world was evangelized in just such a short amount of time that it's really, really fantastic. But I was interested also in what is the current state of the spread of the gospel, because the known world has enlarged. And I found some interesting statistics. And on the whole, I was looking at Barna last night, and on the whole... Christianity as a whole is not spreading as quickly as Islam. Does that surprise you? But charismatic Christianity is decimating any other group in terms of growth. So that's fascinating, isn't it? That Christianity as a whole, uh, 1.3, 1.5, something, I forget the details, Islam 1.9. And what's interesting, you know, it's not really a competition, is it? Like, if you're outside of Christ, if you're, if you're, if you're deceived and, and you're without hope and without God in the world, it's like you're swapping out different belief systems. The dark is exchanging different ideas for the dark. It's not like it's a competition, but the light is perpetually growing. Again, but I, what, what I want to say that intrigued me, and I'm not saying this because I'm a charismatic or I don't think I am, the part of the church with the most growth is the part of the church that is able to affirm that God does today what he always did before. That the power you see at work in Jesus is available today. That if you read it in the book, it's legal for you today. That if it says you hear his voice, you hear his voice. That if it says you that there's power for transformation and miracles, that there actually is power for transformation and miracles. It's not an accident that the, the part of the church that's growing like wildfire is the part of the church that has an experiential God. The part, see, Am I, am I tra- are you tracking with me? It's not so much that I'm obsessed with getting people to speak in tongues and pray for the sick. What I'm obsessed, obsessed with is, is getting people into an authentic encounter with the living God. Amen. And the part of the church that has the least tradition fighting against the encounter is actually spreading and growing like wildfire. The, place, the only places where the church is not spreading as rapidly in, the, in terms of Christianity are the parts of Christianity that have clouded over and covered over the transformative encounter with their tradition. Like cessationism that says, you know, Jesus used to do miracles and the apostles did miracles, but those aren't for today. That's a tradition that's going to say, oh, okay. Like the part of Christianity that says God spoke to the apostles and then they wrote the Bible, but now he's done speaking. Oh, okay. Those are the parts of Christianity that are not growing transformatively that are not spreading like wildfire. I feel like I'm redundantly making that point. But in, in other words, what I'm trying to say is anytime you just let the gospel be what it is, it grows and it works. And Paul's trying to say to them, look guys, when you just let the gospel be what it is in your life, it was working. It's now that you, he's gonna say it later, and like especially in chapter two, it, when you strayed from the message of grace, that's when, that's when it stopped working. When you tried to add straining, striving, and your smart stuff to it, and angel encounters and legalisms to it, when you tried to add varsity Christianity behavior to it, that's when it stopped changing you. We need to know we're a part of a global movement, and the gospel is winning. The, God, the word of God is growing, 
and it's bearing its fruit. Now, that's a fascinating phrase. The fruit of the gospel is changed lives. Now, changed lives in what sense? Right? Because lots of things change lives. What's with the long pause? What's the, well, I'm sorry, I messed that. I, I could have gotten that right if I said, what's with the big pause? Oh, man. Missed it. The kind of transformation we're talking about is the love, the love that the Holy Spirit has given them, which we'll see in just a few verses, and then he'll go into a big prayer about it. There's a massive transformation from despair to hope and into this place where love, where trust in Jesus and love for people has now become normal. That's this, this incredible change. Let's look at some stuff. It's not a different gospel that came to them that's going out all over the world. It's the same gospel. The simple gospel. Sometimes I think we are, we are so interested in getting to a deep gospel that, that tickles our intellect Instead of just sitting in the truth, the simple truth, and letting it form and shape us, when what is most needed is not new information that we're lacking, but transformation by the gospel we already have. Sometimes I think the issue is not, and I think we're we're Americans, so we have all this access to information that we can become easily, like as a church, we can become like the Athenians, is that that the uh, Mars Hill? where it says that they gathered in this public space and every day they just gave themselves to listening to the newest, most intriguing ideas. Just more and more human theories. How are we tracking? But, but, but that's not what actually changes. And that's not our real need. What our real need is, is to start here in the simple gospel. What is the simple gospel? The simple gospel is that God loves us And Jesus has taken on our full humanity so that he's made himself one with us, stripped off and absorbed into himself all the weight of our sin, removed our sin and our shame, carried it down into death, and through his death, destroyed it. And in his resurrection, now he has raised us to new life so that we are the children of God. So that we are forgiven And so that the the same power that he revealed, the same intimacy with the Father that he walked in is available to us as a free gift. That is the gospel. So that the, the relationship Jesus had with the Father is the relationship that we have now. So that we can live in this life like Jesus by relying on that fellowship with God's love that he relied on in life. And that if we see it in Jesus, it's truth. And that if we see if we don't see it in Jesus, it's not for us. That's the gospel. The gospel is clear. It is a message of love and grace and forgiveness. It is a message of radical mercy. And to the extent to which we actually hear and understand that last little piece there, it says, from the first time you heard and understood. The Greek word there is to know intimately, personal knowledge, firsthand knowing. From the first time you heard and knew, really knew, understood the grace of God, it changed you. 
Guys, this, is, this sounds such, like such a simple message, but this is your story. You didn't change until grace landed on you. You didn't change until undeserved mercy and love landed on your heart and your heart saw that. You didn't change because you had a New Year's resolution. You didn't change because of guilt. You didn't change because you came to church more often and got serious about this thing. Those are all deceptions sent to blind you to reality. You didn't change because of your goodness. You didn't change because of your self-resolutions and discipline. You changed when the love and mercy and grace of Jesus came to your heart as a free gift and your heart opened and you actually received and experienced it. And you changed to the extent that you received that grace. And you grew and grew and grew in perpetual growth to the extent that you stayed rooted in that place of letting grace dominate your understanding. Letting the mercy and covenantal kindness and undeserved fullness of goodness that is, that is yours in Christ. The extent to which you started there but then stayed there determined the amount of fruit and transformation happening in your heart and life. And when you let anything obstruct that, you cut yourself off from the only source of power in your life. Understood. This is your story. This is my story. It's First John. It says, we love because he what? He first loved us. You want to love God? There's one way. Receive more of his love. Believe more of his love. Stay rooted in more of his love. But the enemy wants to steal your seed. He wants to steal it before you can eat it. He wants to tell you you're not being love to receive God's love. That you need to get to work and get yourself right first. And then when you're worthy, you're allowed to receive. He's got the whole thing flipped. He's, his, his strategy against you is designed to keep you locked in self-effort instead of flipping over into receiving grace and God's, God's undeserved affection first. His whole strategy is to make you religious. If he can't make you carnal, he'll make you religious. If he can't make you carnal, he'll get you earning and proving. Because if he can block the flow of grace, that though you have sinned, God's delight is on you. If he can block that reality being a received reality, it's so simple. It's not complex. It's not intellectual. It's not... It's the most profound thing ever, but it doesn't sound profound. If he can get your brain flipped into a place where you're no longer being formed by what Abba is saying, but a different story, maybe the story shame is telling you, maybe the story your parents have told you, maybe the story your friends have told you, maybe the story the culture is telling you. If he can, if he can, just, if he can just distract you, then some other voice can shape you, but God knows, God knows that all that it takes to transform humans with an unceasing powerful transformation that will not just save you, but will manifest in and through you and spread to those around you, all, all it takes is this. You just receive. You just receive. Jesus said it this way in John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you'll remain in, in me and my word in you, you'll bear much fruit. The end. Luke 7, the woman who's a sinner, it says, who shows up at the house of the Pharisee when Jesus is is being hosted as the guest of honor in a banquet. She shows up and she can't stop crying. She can't stop crying on his feet, wiping his feet with her hair and pouring expensive perfume. Why is she doing what she is doing? 
Because the simple gospel has worked. Because the simple reality of God's grace to her has, has, has plowed through every roadblock of what's true about her. As the, the, the truth that sets free has plowed through every fact about who she has, be, has been in life. And, and, and Simon, the Pharisee, religion's over here saying, oh, if Jesus knew who she was, he wouldn't let her touch him. She's, she's a real sinner. I mean, not like the rest of us. We're like sinners technically, but I mean, that's like a sinner. Because there's a massive difference, guys, between facts and the truth. The devil likes to use facts to deceive us, but the truth of Jesus sets us free. What truth? The gospel. The truth of the gospel is what sets us free. The truth of the gospel. When Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, he revealed that the truth that makes free is a person. It's a person. We have relationship with the living Christ. And as we hear his voice and believe, we change. In Philippians 1, it says that the righteous character that's worked in us is worked in us through Jesus Christ or by Jesus Christ. The, the fruit we bear, it's not ours. It's his. The life we live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave his life for us. That's Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, Christ lives in me. Amazing. So for Paul, the simple gospel changes everything, it empowers everything, it transforms everything, and the goal is not to like be, a, be extra, oh, I'm gonna be knowledgeable, I'm gonna be, yeah, there's a wisdom in Christ that, we go, that the mature go on to, but it's not the wisdom of the world, he says. It's not the wisdom of the world. It's not the wisdom, it's not the wisdom that seems impressive to humans, It's the wisdom of God that crushes every lie of the evil one that is hitting at the root issues of humanity. And so I I just, it's your story. Your story confirms what I'm saying. The extent to which you have received and are receiving grace and understanding and believing the truth of the grace, you're growing, you're shining, you're changing. Stuff's falling off, stuff's being built in. Or it becomes something else. And it's my story too. It's my story too. I was in a dark, dark, hopeless, lost place. And yeah, I know. Like I, I told my story before and my wife was like, I wish I had a cool testimony like you. And then I read Ephesians 2 and it's like, uh, all of us used to live this way when we followed the prince of, of the power of the air. It's like, uh, Carrie, you remember when you also were serving the devil? So like, just because you didn't use drugs, you think my testimony is quote better than yours? Uh, biblically, we have the same testimony, girl. She's like, yeah, that's true. Isn't that funny? And plus, plus, and I'm not going to throw her under the bus, but I'm just going to throw this out there. Sometimes religion is a much worse state of lostness. Growing up Christian can actually be more lost than growing up pagan. Remember Luke 18, there are two people at the altar you know, seeming to pray. One of them is standing up and saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I tithe the tenth of all I get, and I fast twice a week. In fact, thank you, God, so much that I'm not like that guy. And now that guy, that guy is a mess. You know, his fly's open, he has a coffee stain on his shirt. You know, he has 
Wawa cups, coffee cups in his car, you know. They're not even Royal Farms. He's that much of a mess. I just had to get that little conflict in there. And it's Coke. It's not even Pepsi. It's just a mess in there. No, all right, let's get back on point, Tim. But look at this guy, God. I thank you that I'm not like that guy. And then that guy, what's he saying? What's he saying? He's saying, I need, G- I need grace. I need you, God. I don't trust me. I don't even sometimes like me. Can you show me what's true here, Father? Can you help me? I need your help. And this guy's encountering mercy and grace. He's falling in love with God. Isn't it fascinating that this guy, this guy over here who says, I don't think I'm doing that great. Jesus says, that guy went home justified. What does that mean? That guy went home in right relationship with God. That guy went home having genuinely reconnected with Abba. So now what's his story? His story is Mary's story. I've been forgiven much. That's why I love much. His story is 1 John. I love much, therefore I've been loved much, therefore I love much. His story is Tim Miller's story. I was in a dark, lonely, lost place with hopelessness and despair. I was hurting everyone around me, doing the best that I knew how, and I finally realized I'm the problem. And so I said, can you, I don't know if you can, but if you can, could you, could, if you'll have me, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to have me. I don't know you. I don't even trust you, but I trust me less. So I'm going to take a risk here. Please take over. Will you please? And poop. Something happened. And I felt it. I felt it deep in my belly. His yes. His forgiveness. I didn't understand anything, but I understood mercy said yes. I'm now in mercy. Mercy said, yes, he took over. I'm in. I don't know what this means. I didn't even, guys, I didn't even understand Jesus yet. I hadn't, read the, I hadn't like read the story yet. I didn't understand why Jesus died on the cross yet. Holy Spirit bypassed all the traditional theology that's supposed to work. He saved me outside of the church with no gospel preaching, no cross preaching even, not even a mention of Jesus' name. That's not even supposed to happen and he did it. You know what's crazy about that? Jesus saved me before I understood anything about Jesus. Does that sound familiar that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? That's how I started. And I I woke up the next morning with God on. He's in the room and all I want is him. I roll out of the bed every morning. God, you're there. You're real. You're my life. Everything is for you now. Everything is yours. This is your story. This is my story. It's the moment grace comes home to be experienced as a reality. The relationship starts and it's real. See, and then the first thing that happened to me was, I said, oh, I've got to figure out how to please this God. And I started reading the Bible and digging in as hard as I could and trying to follow all these verses. And I didn't even realize it, but I became religious quick. Next thing you know, I am trying my hardest to please God and I'm coming under condemnation. And he takes me to this little book called Galatians. And shows me that I'm in, not because I measure up in my performance, but because I'm in Christ who perfectly measured up. And I'm in in a covenant of grace where even if I screw up today, he ain't leaving. His spirit is on me so much that he can be quenched and he can be grieved, but he's not going away. And something about that message, like... I'm going to be a little graphic just for a second, so plug your ears if you're a small person. You're not doing it. Thank you. 
my struggle with lust, that, that battle, turn, the tide turned that, that day. There, okay, you can unplug him. Ask your mom, ask your dad <laughs> at home. You know how many people, they, they battle their sin head on by trying to gain more insight and more knowledge. It's through their skills applied with their wisdom, with their diligence, with their accountability of a group of people who are likewise struggling. You know what will crush it far more? A new understanding of identity in Christ and the grace of God. Falling in love with Jesus will crush lesser loves in our heart. The message of grace roots us in a greater love that pushes out lesser loves organically over time. And it, and it creates a context, it creates a context in which faltering efforts forward are not terminal blows. We can handle some mistakes in this place called grace. We can be involved in a normal process of growth in this place called grace. So the, the gospel, when it's unobstructed with religion, when it's unobstructed with human tradition, when it's just allowed to breathe and be what it is, it works. When we add stuff to it, when we add our Catholicism to it, when we add our Mennonitism to it, when we add our Baptist stuff and our Presbyterian stuff and our Evangelicalism stuff to it, it works a lot worse. We obstruct it. We, we overlay it with human traditions and opinions, things that seem right to us, but they're not the purity and truth of the close relationship with Abba that Jesus brought, wants so, so much to bring to the world. You know, this verse just so captivated my heart. Romans chapter 8, um, shoot, what is the verse now? 20, let me just flip there real quick. Is it 18? Is it 21? There it is, 21. Creation is groaning for the glorious freedom of the children of God to be revealed. The glorious, ah, uh, the glorious freedom of the children of God. Like, the trees are longing for this thing. The, the, like, the bugs want you to get the gospel. The ecology of the environment is, is, is yearning. It's aching. It's homesick for you and I to understand the gospel and walk in this thing. Brian Hibbs asked us on Thursday night, what do you burn for? What do you burn? burn for and I said I I didn't say it out loud I don't think but I realized what I burn for is I want to live my life as an experiment in how how much of the freedom of the glory of the sons of God can I walk in and how much can can that reality be spread to people around me the, the glory, the beauty, the, the, that's the word glory, it's like how do you do it justice? The beauty, the weight, the splendor of the freedom of the sons of God. Because as this gospel lands on us, as we come into grace, as, we, as, we, as the real love of God that's ours in Jesus comes in, it fashions and molds and shapes and it takes us into this place where we live in a state of grace and freedom and life and forgiveness and mercy and joy and we come into the thing for which we were born. It, 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 it ushers us into a new perpetual ongoing encounter with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit where we become like what we behold, where we accidentally leak love and grace and power 
as we are just receiving and drinking and meditating and staying in it. I'm not trying to say it's all autopilot and there's no will involved because, Christ, because Paul and, and Jesus tells us to take up our cross daily and put selfishness to death, right? That's the point of take up your cross daily. It's not to die to earn forgiveness. It's to put the old thing to death daily. No, I ain't doing it. I'm not living for me. I'm in. Me living for me was the problem. That's what we inherited in Adam. Now it's me living as love. That's, that's what we inherit in Christ. So there is a, there's will. Paul says to put off the old, whatever belongs to the old, and to put on the new daily. So there's some daily choices we make, but the daily choices we make are not to earn anything or to make something happen. It's to stay rooted in. It's to realize what is true daily. Romans 6.11, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Don't make yourself dead to sin. You already have been killed. That's done. You are dead to sin if you are in Christ. And so then this whole life becomes those who are led by the Spirit of God or the sons of God. This whole thing comes down to, to, to two groups of people at the end of history. Who believed the gospel and who didn't? If you believe the gospel, really believe with, re, with all the fullness of the Greek word believe, not, not agree with in theory, not have a doctrine of. I mean, this, to believe is to feast on. It's to trust in. It's to, it's to be rooted in. It's to let this reality define you. Amber Shore said the other night that when our conscious mind affirms something, that's one level, but when our subconscious operating system flips over, that's when it's actually believed. I thought that was a fascinating way to put it. There's something, about, there's something about staying so rooted in this thing that it becomes our natural operating system. And no long, stuff no longer threatens and topples us. Stuff no, longer, stuff no longer fashions and shapes and molds us to be something other than the image of Jesus. All right, that's, that's, that's pretty much all that I feel in my heart to say. So now the rest of this, I feel is an altar call. Just, I'm warning you, just to be fair and honest. How much is this message of grace dominating your understanding? How, just how free do you want to be? Just how close to the Father do you want to be? See, it's amazing to me, the Jesus you, all, you, the Jesus you have come to know is more than enough to take you to the Jesus you have not yet known. I'm not trying to say that he won't lead you to people who have insight and I'm not trying to... I'm not, I'm not, not trying to dog books and, and resources and so forth, but there's something in Christ that's available to us to where the Spirit of God comes and fashions and shapes and molds because He knows you better than a conference speaker knows you. And He knows how to take the simple passages of the Bible and breathe life on them for you. Not because you're, you know, I got to do the whole Bible in a year and all this stuff. I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus to where he highlights a truth that you know is for you and it shapes you and it molds you.
There's something, there's just something about the encounter with the real living Jesus that, how do you talk about it? How do you put it into words? When I was young, I I, I discovered the passage in Luke chapter 7 of Mary, whichever Mary it was. I always struggle with, there's like three Marys and they have different last names and stories and I'm not even, whichever Mary it was. As soon as I discovered Luke chapter 7, I wept and I wept and I wept. And I didn't know why I was weeping. What was it about this woman and her tears that made my tears flow? What was it about this woman and her lack of concern for what anyone else in the room thinks about her? Like in the presence of judgment, she's pouring out her intimacy. Don't you pull back in the presence of judgment from intimacy? She didn't. What was it about this woman that her worship was so costly that the fragrance of her worship filled the house? Isn't that interesting? The stink of Simon's attitude didn't fill the house. The fragrance of Mary's worship filled the house. That's, <laughs> that's a good kid right there. Classic. I think, was it, Nikki, was it one of yours when Dan Moeller came? That was running around too? Yes, that's hilarious. And Dan was like, I love this right here. Awesome. Exactly, exactly. That was awesome laughter. There's something about that story that messed me up so much as a, as a baby Christian. <laughs> I just heard the father tell me, you're still, you're still pretty young in this thing. <laughs> That's funny. He's like, you know, 300 years from now, talk to me. You know what I'm saying? Okay. But as a baby Christian, I'm like, I don't even, I don't know how to talk about this Mary passage, this Luke 7 passage, because there's no way I'll ever be able to do it justice. Because the only appropriate response to that is to go, she's me. That's why this must affect me so deeply. She's me. I'm Mary. I'm the, one who, I'm the one who's been forgiven much. That's your story. That's your story. You're the one who's been forgiven much. And if that has stopped causing our hearts to be staggered with a sense of awe and wonder, if that, then we got to get back to seeing grace clearly. If we've... If we, if we now look at her as, oh, it don't take all that. I had, if you're going to play keyboard, that's funny. During the week, I had a mental picture of Jacob playing keyboard during the service, and I never told him that. Interesting. Everything is happening according to the plan. And the lion thing. I'm, I don't know. There's just something, there's something about this message of grace. And when we lose it, we turn sour and we harden. And when we retrieve it, it softens us. It sweetens our prayer times. It sweetens our hard times. It sweetens our good times. Just go ahead and stand. If you're who I'm talking to, if you're saying, I need to return to grace. And not, I'm not, you're not making a commitment to do more. That's not what we're, we're doing here. We're not making a commitment to turn up the heat and, and diligence and aggression. 
that's fine if that's what happens. But what we're doing here is we're saying, I'm the one. I'm the one who's been forgiven much. I'm the one who's been pursued. I'm the one who's been loved this way. I'm the one you love. I'm the one you're seeking out, Father. I'm the one. I'm the one who needs to receive and be fashioned by what you say about me. Just go ahead and come on up if that's you. you love much. If you're the one who's saying, I... I would, but I, I, I got to kind of earn it first before I receive it. If you're saying that's 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 me, I'm the guy, I'm the person, I'm the, I'm the person who says, ah, I don't trust myself to receive your love and feel that free. That's not how it works. There's an invitation also to return to your first love. And if you're saying, I want to get back to that place where I would light a candle. I would light a candle at the end of a long day and just be with God and talk to him and he would talk to me. I want to get back to those days where the last thought on my mind was, was the Father. And I would, there were nights when just tears would roll down my cheeks onto the pillows. And only the Father knows. There's a sweetness he's inviting us back into. There's a closeness he's inviting us back into. You know me, you know I don't do this, right? 
you know that I don't put high pressure sales things on, but there's something that I, I don't want you to miss it. There's an opportunity right now. There's a moment. There's something happened. If somebody's having a wrestling match going, I want to receive this, but I don't want to go to the front. That's you. Get your butt up here. Because there's, there's, there's not change without sacrifice. And sometimes the, the thing he's asking us to do is to put that little voice down so that you'll know that your desire is sincere. He doesn't need you up here. You need you up here to believe what you're saying is true. There's an invitation and there's a window of opportunity. I'm actually waiting to, to do some of the praying that I have to do until I, until I sense a release and I don't sense it yet. So thank you for bearing patiently with me. Begin to already pray, though. Begin to already pray. Tell him what you want. Tell him what you burn for. Talk to him. God, we thank you that you're stripping away everything from our hearts that is blocking the flow of your love to us and through us. Father, I thank you. I ask that you would now anoint us with more power from on high. In Jesus' name, as I say these words, I believe your power is going to begin to flow in a greater way. You are loved. You are chosen. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I called you. I called you to myself. I've called you to belong to me. I've called you to be named by me and me alone. I've called you to hear my voice and live. I've called you to walk with me in the cool of the day. I've given you the freedom to call on me day and night. I surround you like a protective wall. I comfort you like a mother. I strengthen you and I hold you up. I guide you. Papa, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. God, I ask for us to be able to really, really settle in and let you love us. Really settle in and let this land in our hearts. Pray, God, that you would nail this down for us, that we would be unmoved, unshaken, potter, and form our hearts, God. No longer shaken by the trial, no longer begging you for the trial to end, but instead, God, saying, have your way in my heart in the midst of this coming into alignment with you, saying, ah, this is a great opportunity. What a great opportunity. What a great opportunity to learn how to love in the midst of this, to learn how to trust you in the midst of this. What a great opportunity. I saw a yellow shirt. There's like four people with yellow shirts. 
Can you guys come up? I want to pray for you. Yeah, you, Mary. <laughs> All right. The rest of you, uh, you keep doing what you, what, whatever it is the Father's wanting to do with you. Feel free to stay. Feel free to chill. Do nothing. Do something. Pray for somebody. Keep talking to the Father. But I'm going to pray a blessing. Father, now in Jesus' name, I pray that you would seal your word. Seal your word in our hearts. Seal us in grace. Seal us in Jesus. Let this, let this people rise up. I pray, God, that the fresh measure of your presence that you've deposited on us in this time, that it would come back. As we seek you today, that we would sense a freshness on it that hasn't been there before in Jesus' name. Fresh oil, fresh oil in Jesus' name. Fresh oil, fresh wisdom, fresh insight. A hunger for you that has that, that re- returned to a place of health passion for others, a boldness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.